what you got. <laughs> well, good morning. This morning, as we've already talked about, we continue working our way through the parables of Jesus with the parable of the rich fool. And I have titled this sermon, A Foolish Perspective. Now, as we get started, I got to say that when we go through this parable, I actually see a lot of myself in the rich fool. And I got a feeling I may not be alone in that. Maybe Aaron's got it too. But I think that we're going to find encouragement in the way that God values our lives and in what this parable reveals to us about God's purpose for our lives. But before we get into that, let's seek God's blessing. Heavenly Father, this morning we seek to understand your word and in doing so, to understand your will for our lives. We so often stray from the life that you designed for us, and we pray this morning that you would use your word to bring us closer to you, to show us the life that you planned for us, and to change our hearts so that we would seek you above all else. Help us direct our eyes, ears, hearts, and mind towards you, Father. Amen. Now hear God's word from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when I hear this parable, the first place that my mind goes is to the idea of retirement accounts, especially in our modern society. I paid a quick visit to a couple of websites for investment firms this week, and I saw such slogans as, helping you reach your investment goals, and plan today, feel confident about tomorrow. I even received an email this week from the firm that holds my retirement accounts, and they describe retirement as the longest vacation you'll ever take. <laughs> Sounds good. And if I watch too many sporting events, they're filled with commercials of these same investment firms, and I start to think that life really doesn't begin until I retire. We're told that when retirement finally comes, we can pursue all those dreams and goals that we probably didn't even know we had. Dream homes, cars, boats, campers, travels, hobbies. There's no end. And then I find myself thinking, hey, if I can just make it through the next 25 years, I'll be set. I'll have nothing to worry about because I've saved my money, I invested it well, and now I can finally live the type of life that I want to live. Doesn't that sound kind of like the rich fool? I store up my 
surplus grain in barns in hopes that I may one day do just as he said he wanted to do, to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And the world would actually call me wise for doing so. But Jesus warns us against that kind of thinking. He says, watch out. Be on your guard. So what exactly is Jesus warning us against? Well, let's dig in a little bit more and see what we can learn from this parable. Now, as we've talked about throughout this whole series, one of the most important things in studying the parables is understanding the reason or the setting in which Jesus tells the parable. And so for this parable, we're looking at the man's request to Jesus when he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So what's this inheritance that he's talking about? Well, Deuteronomy 21 says that the firstborn son is to receive a double portion of the inheritance as his right, whereas the other sons will only receive a single portion. So this man most likely received his portion of the inheritance, a single portion, What he was seeking was actually a share of his oldest brother's double portion. He was provided for by his family, but he wanted more. And Jesus' words actually back us up in that. When Jesus says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So Jesus knew this man really wasn't just looking for the ability to take care of himself, to take care of his family, but he just wanted more, more money, more possessions. Jesus also knew that this desire for more was not unique to this particular man. Look at verse 15. It says, He, Jesus, said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So this message wasn't just a warning for the man seeking the inheritance, but for everyone who was present. Because Jesus knew that everyone, we all, are susceptible to this temptation to seek a better life through money and possessions. Now, when I think about that, I can't help but wonder with my life, how many decisions have I made based solely on a path that I thought would lead to more money, greater prosperity for nobody but myself? So just like I'm no different than the rich fool, I'm no different from this man either, pursuing a better life through riches and possessions. So I think this parable is worth our attention because all of us are susceptible to this type of temptation that Jesus is warning us against. But before we get into the parable, just a little something about myself. One of the things that I've grown to love the most about reading and studying the Bible is how consistent its message is. Cover to cover, more than 35 different human authors, the Bible offers a unified, consistent message throughout. On the one hand, I really shouldn't be that surprised, because as Paul writes in 2 Timothy, all of God's word, or sorry, all of scripture is inspired by God, or God breathed. That reveals to us that God worked through these human authors in order to bring us that unified message. But I still can't help but be struck often by how unified and consistent the Bible is. So when there comes a time as I'm reading through the Bible, where something seems to be inconsistent or even contradictory with another part of the Bible, it catches my attention. And this parable catches my attention, specifically the rich fool's words in verse 19. 
says he wants to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So that last part, eat, drink, and be merry. Does that sound familiar? It does to me. And I think that Jesus chose these words on purpose in order to remind his listeners of the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. And in fact, as you read through Ecclesiastes, five separate times, Solomon writes of the blessing of eating, drinking, and finding satisfaction, or being merry. Let's consider just one of those instances, Ecclesiastes 5.18. Solomon writes, This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. So I mentioned an inconsistency or contradiction. Where is it? Well, in this parable, God calls the rich man a fool because of his attitude, yet Solomon, who says it's appropriate for us to seek these things, was known as exceptionally wise. 1 Kings 4.29 says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. So we've got two guys who use basically the same words, eat, drink, and be merry, or find satisfaction, yet one of them is wise and the other is a fool. What's the difference? Or to put it another way, where did the rich fool go wrong and Solomon go right? I think the key to answering that question lies in the definition of the word fool. Our modern dictionary definition says that a fool is a person who acts unwisely or imprudently. And as an alternate definition, it says a silly person. But in first century Israel, fool held a much more specific meaning than this. And most scholars actually point to David's words in Psalm 14 as the accepted definition of fool during Jesus' time. And there David writes, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So a fool is a person who rejects God. And I think we can all recognize in our society today, when people reject God, they nearly always make themselves into their own God. And we can see this actually in the words of the rich fool. If we look again at verses 17 through 19, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. On just these three verses, the ritual uses the words I or my ten times. And this heavy use of I and my shows us that he sees his possessions all as his own. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So this reveals that in his mind, it was his work that resulted in the plentiful harvest. Although verse 16 tells us that the ground itself yielded the abundant harvest, reflecting that it was actually a blessing from God. And this rich fool fails to recognize it. So compare this language to the language of Solomon. We just looked at Ecclesiastes 5.18. Let's go to the next verse, Ecclesiastes 5.19. Solomon writes, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, 
this is a gift of God. God gives someone wealth and possessions. This is a gift from God. So Solomon recognizes that these blessings to eat, drink, and be merry come from God himself. And it's this recognition of God that makes Solomon wise. And it's the rejection of God that makes the man in our parable a fool. So I think we can sum up the fool's error as one, one of perspective. He held the perspective that his possessions were his own, and that his own efforts resulted in his abundant harvest. But it doesn't stop there. He sees his life as his own as well. That's expressed in his goal. It's purely self-serving, to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But his life is not his own. Verse 20, God says, This very night your life will be demanded from you. This reflects that his life belonged to God. And we see this elsewhere in the Bible. We know that Genesis 2 says that man was nothing but dust until God formed him and breathed life into him. God was the one that gave us life. David recognizes this. Psalm 24, he writes, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It all belongs to God. Paul, in his first letter to Corinthians, writes, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So the rich fool's perspective is that his life and all he owns belongs to nobody but him. And he has the power to pursue and create riches according to his own will. His perspective is false. And this false perspective has consequences, meaning that it leads to him having a wrong purpose for his life. And we can see that purpose if we consider verse 17. Man says to himself, what shall I do? Now he's actually asking a good question here. I think it's important for us to consider the purpose for our lives. But where he goes wrong is he asks that question to the wrong person. Rather than asking God, what shall I do? He asks himself instead. So his false perspective that his life is his own leads to him developing the wrong purpose for his life. I don't think we're all that different from him in that respect. I know when I take the perspective that my life and my possessions are my own, the purpose of my life becomes about serving myself. So I'm just like the rich fool in that way. My false perspective leads to the wrong purpose for my life. I think there's a good example of this relationship between perspective and purpose in a story that pastor and author John Piper often tells he tells the story of a couple who retired in Florida. And they were able to purchase for themselves a modest boat. And they would travel up and down the coastline, pull the boat in and moor it every so often. And they would walk up and down the beach and collect seashells as they walked. <clears throat> and Piper would say that this couple really isn't that different from the rich fool in this parable. Their perspective is that their lives and everything that they have is all for their own. And so their purpose really was to serve their own happiness, to travel and to collect those seashells. But Piper asks his readers to consider their future, to consider the day when they die, and they found themselves before God, 
And God asked them to give an account of their lives and how they've used and invested the gifts that he provided for them. And Piper asked us, can you imagine being asked such a question by God and having nothing to show but a few shells in your hand? So where did this couple go wrong? Again, perspective and purpose. So I think now it's beneficial for us to go back and look at Jesus' interaction with the man who was seeking a greater inheritance. I think it's fair to say that that man was really seeking the same thing as the rich fool. He wanted to take life easy, to eat, drink, and be merry. And he thought that a greater share of the inheritance would provide that. But Jesus challenges this man and all of his listeners on the purpose of their lives with this parable and really throughout all of chapter 12. And Megan, it's time for the slides. (laughs) So verse 4, Jesus tells his listeners, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. Jesus recognizes that our own safety is often a pursuit of our lives. And Jesus is saying, there's more to life than your own safety. Verse 22, Jesus says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Again, Jesus recognizes clothing, shelter, food. These are things that we all seek. But these are not worthy purposes for your lives either. Verse 29, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Really the same story as the last one. We need to eat, we need to drink, but that's not a worthy purpose for our lives. So what does Jesus say are worthy purposes for our lives? We'll go to verse 31. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. In verse 33, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. So just as today, where people pursue food, drink, clothing, shelter, safety, people did that in Jesus' day as well. Their lives were commonly about those things, just as ours. And so Jesus is challenging his listeners, as he's challenging all of us, to consider that our lives have a higher purpose than those things. So earlier I mentioned this idea of retirement as a common pursuit of our lives, especially in this country. And if I focus on retirement too much, it's easy for me to look at my career merely as a means to an end, a path towards retirement as opposed to an opportunity to serve God in what I do. And so when I do that, I give my life and career the wrong purpose. And again, that wrong purpose is based on a false perspective that my life is my own. And so I need to remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. I was bought at a price. To put it another way, God sees us and our lives as much too valuable to waste on these types of things. Just how valuable already God? Well, we don't have to look far to understand it. Just think about the torture that Jesus endured during his trial. Think about the humiliation he endured as he tried to carry the cross to Calvary. Think about the pain and suffering he endured as he hung on the cross. He endured that for you. And he endured that for me. 
We were separated from God. But because of God's love for us, Jesus endured all these things and more to remove that separation, to bring us into his kingdom. That's how much you are worth to God. So how should we respond to that? Change our perspective. Again, we're going to go back to this man who is seeking a larger inheritance. Remember that he's seeking life through possessions. But this time we're going to look at Jesus' response. Because at first it seems a little bit odd. Jesus says, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? There's a couple things that are odd about this. First, Jesus does have the authority to be a judge over this man. And second, Jesus, as a teacher or a rabbi, held the position that he could arbitrate disagreements between people and Israel. But I think what Jesus is doing here is he's challenging the man to see who Jesus really is. Jesus isn't just another teacher or another rabbi. Jesus isn't just somebody who can decide what type of inheritance this man gets. Rather, Jesus is someone that has the authority to provide a much greater inheritance than what this man is seeking. One that will never run out. One that will never disappoint. An inheritance of eternal life in the presence of God. We have that inheritance. We know that God has chosen us and we have been saved by him. So even if we go, our, go through our lives poor and destitute, we have been blessed beyond all measure, far beyond anything that we could ever deserve. And that inheritance needs to be the basis of our perspective in our lives. And with that perspective in mind, I think it's good for us to consider a few questions. James writes in James 4 that life is a vapor. Life is short. We know this to be true. None of us knows how many days we have left or if Jesus is going to return before we pass on. Time is short. So how are we using it for God's kingdom? Paul writes in Philippians 3, the things of this world are garbage when compared to knowing our Lord Jesus. So if the things of this world are garbage, why do we cling so tightly to them? And Paul also writes in Ephesians 2, we were created to do good works. Think about where God has placed you in time, in place, how he's gifted you, who he's put around you. What good works is he calling you to do in the here and now? So I urge all of you, as well as myself, to consider these questions. Bring them to God. Let these, change, let these questions change your perspective as you seek God's answer to the same question that the rich fool asked, what shall I do? And I think when we understand God's answer to that question, we'll experience the kingdom of God in the here and now. And we'll understand what the psalmist meant in Psalm 73 when he wrote, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
If we can reach such a point, things that once seemed important to us in this life will no longer hold their same value. Our earthly treasures will begin to fade and look dim and dingy in comparison to the glory of God. Let's close in prayer. Father, you have blessed us with so much. Our very lives, giftings that enable us to find your purpose in your kingdom, our purpose in your kingdom, and abundance beyond what we deserve. But we waste these things. We spend our time, our talents, and our treasures on ourselves, and we neglect the greater purpose to which you have called us. Let the good news of your inheritance change our perspective so that we can see and fulfill your purpose for our lives. God, we cannot do this alone. We rely on you to open our eyes and to empower us to do your will. Amen.